Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Two cases of dangerous driving and excessive speeding in West Vancouver are drawing strong reaction tonight. Both involve young drivers, one a repeat offender. Our Grace Key has more on the number of vehicle impounds for excessive speeding in that city alone and reaction on social media. Grace. Well, in West Vancouver, there's been 144 vehicle impounds from excessive speeding so far this year. And the latest incident, the driver in that case had a rather provocative sticker attached to his vehicle. No airbags. We die like real men. This is the picture West Vancouver police tweeted out after stopping an 18-year-old N driver on Highway 1. He was clocked at 160 kilometers an hour and a 90-kilometer-an-hour zone. The driver is stopped. It's an 18-year-old Delta man, and uh, he's issued a violation ticket for excessive speed, and the vehicle's impounded for uh, seven days. He was driving this 2016 silver Hyundai Elantra. It's now sitting in an impound lot with the sticker quite visible. Not as flashy as the 2015 Ferrari 459 that was clocked back in July going 210 kilometers an hour over Lionsgate Bridge. 22-year-old Yi Hao Wang was given a 16-month driving prohibition and his vehicle was impounded for 60 days. The same officer pulled him over on the same bridge in April. His lawyer was in North Vancouver Provincial Court today saying they plan to challenge the excessive speeding charge. So far it's been... Um sort of Alice in Wonderland, uh, sentence first, uh, uh, verdict afterwards. But uh, we're going to have a look and maybe turn that around. The latest incident has stirred up outrage on social media. One person commenting, laws need bigger teeth. No airbags. We die like real men. I mean, could you get anything more, more stupid? Public Safety uh, Minister Mike Farnworth had some strong words about the driver, saying his ministry is looking into the possibility of tougher penalties. If the, uh, the penalties that are in place right now are not enough, uh, then I think we need to look at, at, at other mechanisms, whether it's uh, in the case of an individual going over a bridge you know, at 180 kilometers an hour, that they lose their license for a very long time, particularly on repeat offenders. By the way, the vehicle with the sticker on the side, it did have workable airbags. Sophie? All right. Thanks for that, Grace Key in West Van for us. Well, we are learning more tonight about a woman killed in a crash on Highway 3 near Hope on Monday. And also the suspected driver who left her at the scene. 35-year-old Danielle Charlton was a mother of four. Her family blames her boyfriend for the crash. John Waugh spoke to the woman's estranged husband and her son still struggling with the loss. It's hard, um... When it came to his estranged wife, the mother of his boys, Charlie Charlton always held on to hope. Praying one day, Danielle Conway would overcome her troubles and find a way back into their lives. She apologized for 
Spit this time, spit this through. That hope was stolen Monday afternoon. Family says Conway, better known as D.D. Charlton, died in a horrific crash on Highway 3 just outside of Hope. It was really hard. I just didn't think it was true. I, couldn't, I didn't really want to believe it. Even more unbelievable, as bystanders tried to save the 35-year-old mother of four, the person driving her stole a Good Samaritan's vehicle and fled the scene. Actions speak louder than words. His actions are the actions of a coward. RCMP have yet to identify the suspect, but Conway's family says it was a man she had been seeing on and off for the past year. Someone they say who dragged her back into a lifestyle of drugs and homelessness. Even left her injured at a motorcycle crash scene just one month ago. She broke her pelvis and uh, he left her there and there and uh, he was worried about getting away. This family now remembering an artist, wife and mother, tragically torn between two lives. She had like an inner happiness, it seemed like an inner smile and, and then um, she got pulled away. Always desperate to tip the balance trying to be better for her children. Even if she wasn't staying here, I could text her or call her and she would talk to me. Now even that has been taken away along with a family's dream of what could have been. The life of her drained out on that road. She didn't deserve to die alone. Huh? John Hua, Global News. And breaking details on this story, RCMP say the plates of the vehicle that crashed on Highway 3 match stolen plates on a suspect vehicle in a $30,000 jewelry heist in Nelson. RCMP also believe the man connected to that robbery is the suspect that fled the crash scene near Hope. At this point, police can't confirm Dee Dee Charlton was with him during the theft, but they do say it doesn't appear the suspect was acting alone. Commercial vehicle safety inspections in Vancouver are revealing some disturbing findings. The inspections taking place at a number of locations over three days around Vancouver and a part of an ongoing campaign focused on improving road safety by identifying unsafe commercial vehicles. Results from yesterday's show of the 75 vehicles checked, 100% had violations and over half were deemed too dangerous to be on the road. It, it's day one and, it's, and it is concerning, but like I say, with the vehicles that we flag to come in for inspection, those vehicles already have obvious um, defects with them that they can see. So they're going to obviously, when they come here, going to have at least a ticket. A big surprise today at the sentencing hearing for the only person to be found guilty in the swarming death of Luca Gordich in Whistler in 2015. Just as it was about to get underway, Crown introduced new evidence that brought the hearing to a screeching halt. Reporter Romina Dea was in the courtroom when it happened, and Romina, this was an unexpected twist. It was, Chris. Intriguing new developments that we're hearing for the first time today. Now, Crown says while the accused, Arvin Golich, was on bail waiting to go to trial on a second-degree murder charge in connection to the death of 19-year-old Luca Gordich. He violated his conditions, contacted his girlfriend, and as a result, he was charged with uttering threats to cause death or bodily harm. Now, this is a new charge, Chris, that's currently before the courts, but Crown is asking the judge to take it into consideration before she hands down a sentence in this tragic case. Now, Golich was ultimately found guilty of manslaughter in June of this year. If you go back to the evidence in a matter of about 17 seconds, 
Gordich was swarmed, beaten, and stabbed in the heart in Whistler in May of 2015. Now, Crown says a young man lost his life here, ultimately because of jealousy. And a year later, the accused, who was 18 years old at the time, does the same thing, allegedly uttering threats. It speaks to his character and his prospects for rehabilitation, says Crown. Now, the victim's father was in court today, and he spoke to us about the latest delay. Who am I to say anything? You know, I just have to play by the rules, so I have to wait. The justice never going to be done, but 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 hopefully he's going to go to jail uh, for so many years, and at least uh, that's that's what I'm hoping. Now, Crown, or sorry, defense rather, Chris, um, unequivocally denies the allegations, these new allegations of threats, and is questioning the credibility of the ex-girlfriend. They continue tomorrow in court, which means that uh, it's going to be some time before a sentence is actually handed down. Chris. Sounds like it, and we'll have it when they do. Okay, thanks very much, Romina. A very close call in Alder Grove overnight. Residents of a townhouse complex escaping a fast-moving fire with just seconds to spare. Jordan Armstrong explains what investigators believe someone was cooking up that started the fire. I literally thought we got bombed. Twin explosions and a raging fire. The violent wake-up call for residents of an Alder Grove townhouse complex. We got out just in time i would say because <laughs> there there was smoke and flames right at my front door she fled on her own but the family beside her including two children trapped by a blocked door a neighbor broke down the door and ran upstairs to help them escape kathy and the kids were already at the top of the stairs kind of i don't know if, whatever and uh basically we just all came out of the house and within like a probably a minute or two minutes the place was just like totally engulfed in flames one man from that unit airlifted to hospital with serious burns a second burn patient taken by ground ambulance a third person treated for smoke inhalation the firefight which began at 12:30 a.m lasted hours it's pretty stubborn in the attic area the attic's not hot not large enough to get a crew in there so it's been giving us some problems looks like we've got it under control now the blast immediately deemed suspicious several butane canisters went flying some landing on the front lawn of the middle unit rcmp have found evidence of a clandestine lab in the garage the butane likely used to extract oil from hash to make a product known as weed butter in all eight people displaced three units gutted but amid the loss at 31a avenue and 271 street firefighters make a heartwarming save. I think I kind of stopped freaking out when they handed her to me. She is resilient. Cats are very resilient. Good hiders. She just... You want to say something too? I know. A happy moment after a terrible morning. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. The recent budget updates seem to highlight some major differences that could have jeopardized the NDP Green Alliance. But we're being told tonight there's nothing but harmony in the Capitol with the Greens in an enviable position of influence. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. Keith, the differences were highlighted by really what was mm -hmm. not included in the recent budget update. 
Exactly, Chris. Uh, Andrew Weaver taking the credit or getting the blame, depending on how you look at it, at two notable things not being in that budget. That was the $10 a day daycare, at least the start of a program to get to $10 a day daycare, and that $400 renter's rebate. Uh, and today, the two sides got together with their weekly little meeting and invited the media in to show that they are getting along and they're actually consulting with each other. So uh, the, the Greens' two MLAs, uh, along with two uh, cabinet ministers, including Carol James of the NDP, with, with staff people as well, uh, getting together to talk and hammer things out and, and try to uh, create a path going forward. Not so much about the next budget quite yet, but Carol James says they're not going to agree on everything, but this is an example of how they're consulting with each other. I think uh, as you've, you've seen as in, in our uh, ongoing relationship together, uh, that we are not always going to agree from my perspective, that's good for democracy. I think the public expects us to bring differences of opinions <clears throat> and different ideas to the table. That makes things stronger when we have that kind of debate and discussion. Uh, we have that here and we continue to, we'll continue to have that. Well, the partnership seems to be in decent shape right now. How, how long do you think this is going to last? Well, I think it's going to last, and a lot of us thought at the very beginning. This is the uh, confidence and supply agreement the two sides have, have signed some time ago. And we, we start to go through, we're paying a little more attention to this thing now. And I think it's clear that uh, everything's going to be fine for this fall, likely for the next spring budget. But as we get closer to an election, and the NDP will be expected to follow through on some of these promises, they're going to have to call Weaver's bluff and say, no, we're going ahead with this, or invite Weaver to try to take them down. But for now, it's smooth sailing for the two sides. Well, we'll see what happens then. Thanks very much, Keith. Household income is up in B.C. That's according to the latest figures from Stats Canada. According to 2016 census data on income, there has been a 12.2% growth from the median income in 2005 to 2015. That's a jump from just over $62,000 to just under $70,000. Vancouver's median income growth was 11.2%. Compare that with other big cities across Canada, Toronto at 3.3% and Montreal at 8.8%. British Columbia was the eighth fastest growing region in Canada over the decade. Surrey RCMP are asking for your help to reunite a camera filled with precious memories with its rightful owners. The camera was found along with a number of other stolen items in a vehicle back in April. The SD card contained photos of a young couple's wedding. Officers have not had any luck in finding the owner of the camera. If you recognize anyone in these photos, you're asked to call Surrey RCMP. The controversial move to ban balloons. A park board commissioner floats what sounds like a wild idea to get rid of balloons in city parks and other places. The backlash has been quick, but the commissioner includes a lot of evidence to defend the idea. Why it might make sense in just over a minute. A mystery of biblical proportions. The saintly surprise found in this ancient church that some believe dates back thousands of years. And after a disaster, it's the neat team to the rescue. A group of volunteers you probably didn't even know was out there. How they help when emergency services can't. Coming up. But first, for many people, special occasions like birthdays aren't complete without balloons. But a Vancouver Park Board commissioner says it's time to ban the party staple from parks and community centers. Linda Aylesworth has the reasons and the reaction. 
Balloons are pretty and celebratory, and everybody likes them, right? Balloons. Do you like balloons? Yes. Of course, who does it? Who doesn't like, like balloons? Like I like balloons, yeah. Turns out, not everyone's a fan. I'm asking that the uh, park board put in place a prohibition of the display and use of balloons in uh, park facilities. But Vancouver Park Board Commissioner Stuart McKinnon isn't just a party pooper. He's concerned about what happens to balloons after we're done with them, when in many cases they end up in our waterways, where they can look an awful lot like something edible. So what happens when animals ingest them, it gets into their stomach and it stays there and uh, it clogs their system and so they have a very slow, painful death due to starvation. And then there are those ribbons that remain attached to balloons long after they've deflated. They can and do entangle and kill any number of creatures. If it passes, it would become part of a contract that when you book space in a park, a field or a centre, uh, that would be one of the rules that you abide by. BC Hydro wouldn't mind such regulations. Balloons cause more grief than most of us realize. Helium balloons do cause outages. About 30 last year, which caused tens of thousands of people across the province to lose power. That's because mylar balloons in particular conduct energy. And can short out power lines. Another headache? Any helium balloons are a concern because our workers have to go into the power lines and retrieve them, which is always a risk. So now how do you feel about banning balloons from Parkland? No balloons. Yeah. <laughs> it's better. Yeah, that yeah, would that make sense. sense. Keep them in the homes, birthday parties. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. 100% support that. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. And the war on plastic continues with the city of Seattle well on its way to getting rid of plastic straws. Dozens of restaurants and attractions, including the Seahawks, Mariners and the Space Needle, are dumping plastic straws this month and replacing them with compostable ones. A citywide ban takes effect in July of next year. A major shaker in Victoria, but this one did no damage. Let's just put it this way, it shook me out of my complacency. The machine, designed to show you what magnitude 8 feels like. Plus, Hillary Clinton on a book tour, who she blames for her loss in the U.S. election. Good news when it comes to the wildfires burning in our province. The B.C. Wildfire Service expects the provincial state of emergency to be lifted by Friday. That said, there are still 155 fires burning. More than half a billion dollars has been spent fighting the fires. 3,200 people are still out of their homes and 12 evacuation orders are still in place. The recent spate of major emergencies, including Hurricane Irma, an earthquake in Mexico and even our wildfires, has once again raised the question of how prepared we are. Our most likely disaster is a major earthquake. And as Nitu Garcha reports, a traveling simulator is being used to literally shake some sense into us. It's not a roller coaster or a ride at the fair. It's a simulator taking people through an experience they'd otherwise never volunteer for, a magnitude 8.0 earthquake. So we don't try to go outside then? No, you'll see why. And that's okay. one of the reasons we run this simulator, okay. is to show you the best thing you can do is to just be on the floor. Hitting the ground, what experts suggest you do during a real quake, but not for this version. People are seated in this box-shaped ride with handles to grip on but not buckled in, seeing screens showing devastation like what we could see during 
during a mega thrust quake. It completely puts it into perspective. It's it's amazing what what could happen. Let's just put it this way: it shook me out of my complacency. Even if it doesn't scare you, it makes it more real and makes you maybe get interested in being ready. Held a few weeks before the annual shakeout day, the event is all about awareness. Do you have earthquake insurance and look into that as well as bolting down your furniture? For this Mexico City family, an event like this hits very close to home. Last week, a magnitude 8.1 earthquake hit off the coast of Mexico, causing widespread damage and claiming dozens of lives. They lost everything. The buildings fell down, so it was so strong. But too many people are in denial when it comes to natural disasters, according to this former Vancouver City Hall official. Places like Florida without power, without water, without sewers. I just don't think that people are prepared for it. I just think they don't want to talk about it. They want it to happen somewhere else and not here. Experts suggest being ready to cope up to seven days without any help, because when disaster strikes, it may not come with much warning. Nitu Garcha, Global News, Victoria. Now, the city of Vancouver is training some new special responders to be deployed in the event there is a natural disaster. Teams that are made up of ordinary citizens who are willing to make an extraordinary contribution in case of emergency. Lynn Collier reports. When a natural disaster hits Vancouver, hundreds of volunteers will be stepping up to help first responders. They are members of NEAT, the Neighborhood Emergency Assistance Team. They all have day jobs. I got one of those boring office jobs where I sit at a computer all day. But they want to be on the front lines. I found this NEAT program and I thought, well, that sounds a lot of fun. I was always, uh, when I was a kid, I used to like watching this TV show Emergency about firefighters. So when I found out, what, I get, I get to play with hoses and stuff? That sounds like a riot. The NEAT is the Neighborhood Emergency Assistance Team program. And what it was is developed in 2012 to help uh, emergency responders if there's an emergency. We'd have a trained group of volunteers. I find it really enlightening in the, in the sense that the more I get into it and I find out the city's plans for after an emergency, I find it really calming. Like I go, oh wow, they thought of that? They learn to hook up hoses to the big blue hydrants around town, hydrants that are separate from the city's water system. They pump out 350 gallons of water a minute, three times a normal fire hydrant. Neat members' most important job, though, is gathering information. It's going to be so important, especially in a disaster. All the emergency teams are going to be, they're going to be busy doing the stuff. We want to make sure that we get our communities up and running and prepared. The basic thing is getting everybody prepared so that when the chaos happens, everybody is a little bit more calmer. It's natural for people to help. I think if you ever see any kind of disaster or a car crash, people's first instincts is to help. And I want to be able to help intelligently. Lynn Collier, Global News. That is neat. It really is, isn't it? Yeah. Makes you want to maybe sign up. A huge endorsement from a Hollywood star. I pine for it. I pine for Honey's Donuts in Deep Cove. How they're reacting to that comment from Kate Winslet at the coffee shop she adores. And it's supposed to be a loving tribute, but do you even recognize her? What went wrong? Coming up. Of all of the tragic stories coming out of Hurricane Irma in Florida, this is one of the toughest. Eight residents of a nursing home are dead after their air conditioning was cut by the storm. Another 115 residents have been evacuated, 
and police are conducting a criminal investigation into what went wrong. Altogether, the death toll from Irma is approaching 80, with more than 10 million people still without power. Before and after, satellite images show the scale of the devastation in many areas. A school shooting just south of the border in Washington state has left one student dead and three others injured. News of the violence sent worried parents scrambling to the school. The shooter was caught and was taken into custody. One student says the suspect is a classmate who had been obsessed with previous school shootings, but who had a lot of friends and wasn't being bullied. Hillary Clinton is speaking out tonight about her loss in last year's presidential election as her new memoir hits store shelves. And while she does accept some responsibility, she also says she believes she'd have won if it weren't for the former director of the FBI. Hillary Clinton acknowledging her own flaws. People will say, well, hey, you know, there's all this noise around her all the time. And some of it is of my own doing. But in her first live TV interview since Election Day, blaming her loss squarely on former FBI director James Comey with Savannah Guthrie and Matt Lauer. Did you make enough mistakes yourself to lose the election without any of the other things you talk about? Well, I will say no, Matt. Uh, I don't think that will surprise you. In her new book, she writes about a lack of passion, failing to connect with angry voters running a status quo campaign against a reality TV star. But on today, she said she would have won if not for Comey, especially reopening the email investigation only 11 days before the election. Absent that, I, I believe, and I think the evidence shows, I would have won. Were there headwinds? Yes. But the role that he played historically was uh, determinative. Also today, Clinton's first reaction to Donald Trump Jr., and his controversial campaign meeting with the Russians. He now says he was trying to learn about your fitness for office. It's another absurd lie to cover up what really was going on. In her book, Clinton also settles scores with the press, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, and today accuses President Trump of not being a president for all Americans. Frankly, a misunderstanding of uh, what he's been doing is exactly one of the reasons that Hillary Clinton is not the president. And if Clinton got a do-over... Right. If the election were held today, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton on the ballot again, would you win? Oh, I don't know. I, I think that uh, there's at least a 50-50 chance I would. Andrea Mitchell, NBC News, Washington. An online threat against Hillary Clinton has sent the businessman described as the most hated man in America to jail. An angry judge today revoked the bail of former hedge fund manager Martin Shkreli after he offered $5,000 for strands of Clinton's hair in a Facebook post. The judge didn't buy Shkreli's apology for what he called his awkward attempt at humor. Shkreli was out on bail pending his sentencing for securities fraud charges. A rave review, on the other hand, for Metro Vancouver from a big-time Hollywood star. Kate Winslet shot the upcoming movie The Mountain Between Us with Idris Elba in and around Vancouver. And on the red carpet at the Toronto Film Festival, she didn't hold back about her love for this area. I love Vancouver. I was so happy to be there and so sad to leave. I'm really, truly, I pine for it. I pine for Honey's Donuts in Deep Cove. And the nature, it just, it's, it's incredible, wild, wonderful nature. And um, I, I really, I mean, we, we left thinking, why, why, why are we honestly leaving? I mean, it is so amazing. Technically, it's honey donuts, not honeys. But needless to say, no one at the popular eatery is complaining about Winslet's mispronunciation.
It's it's huge, you know. That an endorsement like that is so huge and so unexpected. I mean, like I'm going like, what is this for real? I would say, you know, angel sent. She's 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 uh, sent by an angel to to promote my business. So were your donuts sent by an angel? <laughs> All right, in health matters now, B.C. researchers are leading a new offensive against one of the leading causes of death in Canada. Sepsis kills thousands of people every year, and it's notoriously difficult to diagnose and treat. As Aaron MacArthur reports, the new research is hoping to solve both problems. Moses Chan gets around pretty well for a man who lost both his feet and both his hands. Five years ago, Chan developed sepsis after a nasty infection, that was originally diagnosed as the flu. If this was a bacterial infection, why wasn't there any biotics? Why wasn't there a test? Because sepsis is the body's overreaction to an infection, it is extremely difficult to diagnose in its early stages. By the time doctors know what it is, it's often too late. One in three people die from sepsis. Now a Vancouver company is hoping to change all that with a new genetic-based test. The faster people are diagnosed, the better the outcome. For every hour that you delay diagnosis, you have an 8% uh, higher chance of dying, right? So we're, we're estimating that you know, up to 80% of patients could be saved. While new testing can identify sepsis more quickly, treatment hasn't changed all that much in a half century. Researchers at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver have developed a potential game changer. Lab trials are showing sepsis can be attacked using medication normally designed to treat people with high cholesterol. We were the first in the world to find that the same pathway that takes the cholesterol out of our body, body also takes these toxins from the bacteria out of the body. Sepsis kills more people every year than heart attacks. And while treatment is getting better, the number of people affected is also growing. If this happened to me 20 years ago, I'd probably have been dead. But I, treatments in ICU have, have been improved, right? But... It's no substitute for earlier prevention. Vancouver, now a world leader in preventing a disease the WHO considers one of the greatest threats to human health. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A worker unearths a mystery at an ancient Roman church. The first name written about him is Petrus. How the discovery could shake up one of the Catholic Church's holiest sites. And maybe this deserves a do-over. The story behind a mural that doesn't look much like the royal subject coming up. Global News and CKNW invite you to the Where We Live series. See Steel and Drax in the news hour as they broadcast live from locations throughout the Lower Mainland. Get ready, BC. It's Where We Live. Remember this zombie-like statue of Lucille Ball in New York? How about the botched restoration of a fresco of Jesus in Spain? Every time I see that one, I laugh. After the forecast, we'll tell you who this is supposed to be. Oh, boy. Uh, I, you know what? I can, go, I can 
to a stick person, and that's about that's it. it. So that's <laughs> so where you can't complain. We should no. not criticize. Okay, here's uh, Christy. Paint us a beautiful picture of the weather uh, forecast over the next couple of days. I will. Well, you just have to look at it here. Spectacular out there. Now, I would say just a couple of days ago, I was calling it more like uh, summer-like weather, but today felt like September. It was a little chilly in the morning, some dew, and uh, many areas woke up to a little bit of fog. But it is beautiful out there. Check out the temperature. So we warmed up to 19 degrees. That's near average for this time of year. Sunset is now at 7.30 on the dot, and the days are getting shorter and shorter very quickly. When we look at the Remax satellite, there's not a lot going on. What we have is an upper-level trough off in Alberta. That's just creating a little bit of instability. So those pockets of showers from BC Peace River all the way down through the uh, Columbia region, let's say. We were hoping that that moisture would shift into the Kootenai region. That's the area where we have the majority of the fires of note right now, 11 of them, and it is unseasonably dry in that area. Now, we are going to see a chance of showers bring it, uh, be brought in, but not as much as we were initially anticipating. And today, they had very gusty winds. So some spotty showers showers, cooler temperatures. That'll help things a little bit, but not a ton of improvement in through that area. Now, off in the distance, way off in the distance, and I'll show you when exactly when we look at the five-day forecast, we have the first fall storm of the season headed our way, and that means wind and rain. In the meantime, this is your tomorrow. So uh, mostly dry, sunny, but definitely on the cool side. Highs of 15 in Saint, Fort St. John and uh, Prince George at 16 degrees. Down through the south, about 20 degrees through the southern interior. A bit more cloud in through the Kootenays, East Kootenay, East Columbia region with that chance of showers, but mostly sunny across the south coast. So a beautiful day and we'll warm up more than what we saw today. In fact, we're expecting about 22 degrees away from the water, potentially 23 on Friday. Saturday, we'll see a little bit more cloud cover and that first fall storm that I was mentioning, late Sunday. Wind and rain expected and that will take us into our Monday, but we definitely have some nice days ahead of that. All right, happy anniversary to Phoebe and John Olson. 76 years together. That's, I think, the longest. We had 178 years, but otherwise 76. And this nice shot from yesterday from Prince Rupert. Daryl found uh, a mom teaching their kids how to cross the street properly. Yeah, use the crosswalk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well done. Wait for the red, but, you know, use the crosswalk. That's right. That is good parenting. <laughs> Thanks, Christy. Well, the city of Chesterfield, England, is dealing with some backlash right now over a mural that some say is an insult to the memory of the person it's supposed to honor. <laughs> Don't laugh. I'm not laughing. You were <laughs> I was laughing. I'm, telling, I'm talking You're to myself right laugh. now. Well, you can recognize her. It is Princess Diana, a mural which was put together using an ancient Derbyshire art form which involves creating designs from flower petals and other natural materials. 14 volunteers spent 120 hours on this, and it's getting some mixed reviews. I don't think it's very good. A lot of people spent time on it, but it doesn't look like Princess Diana. I didn't recognise her when I saw it on the internet. I think it's an insult to her memory, to be honest. It's not very uh, lifelike, is it? There's probably a lot of work that's gone into that, and I would have no idea how to make it, so props to them for doing it, but it's a little bit funny. <laughs> On the plus side, Chesterfield is getting a lot of attention for the mural, and a lot of people are taking their picture with it, so it's not, it's not all bad. Mm -hmm. Squire, take <laughs> it away. <laughs> I cannot do better, that's all I can right. say. Uh, okay, he was the backup, but now Jacob Markstrom is the man.
platform, we're gonna play play really good, and uh, you know I'm uh, I'm super confident coming into this year. But will that confidence translate to number one caliber goaltending? That is our question tonight. Also ahead, holy bones, the mystery just unearthed in a forgotten Roman church. 55-plus BC games <laughs> got underway today in the city where they started 30 years ago. Thousands of competitors from across the province have gathered in Vernon for this year's games, including hammer throw athlete Scott Henney from Maple Ridge. He is 92 years old. I had to check the notes. That's why I was looking at the papers. He's an experienced runner who started competitive throwing just four years ago at the age of 88. It's a wonderful uh, experience uh, to come here and uh, also to meet up with um, people we've met on previous meets. You renew those sort of friendships. Notable competitors include 79-year-old Renata Cheatham from Surrey running in the 5,000-meter race. The competition runs through until Saturday and events are free and open to the public. Pretty good toss there. Yeah, no kidding. Good luck to all the athletes. All right. Okay. Speaking of athletes. Big night last night. You're not talking about me, of course. <laughs> I'm not an athlete. I just watch athletes. That's my job. There's a difference. The uh, Vancouver Canadians paid back their fans last night with another Northwest League championship. They've been uh, dominant in this league the last number of years. Uh, a remarkable run since you pretty much have a different team every year. So this was the final out last night against Eugene. 2-1 win at Nat Bailey Stadium. It's a strikeout. And then the celebration's on. Andy Dunn. I don't know. They weren't involved in the celebration. Casey Clemens. And there's the trophy right there. No, I didn't see the soy or the wasabi guy holding the trophy. <laughs> no. Unfortunately. I mean, really, they probably should have. Grounds crew. Um, they'll eventually get their hands on it. Okay, so they said please, so give them a 21st consecutive win, Cleveland. The Cleveland Windians. Jay Bruce, three-run homer today. They win this, they set an American League record for consecutive victories. Tigers gave him a bit of a run, but Roberto Perez, this is a solo shot. 5-3, final out coming up. It's a line drive to Lonnie Chisenhall. Indians won the American League last year, lost to the Cubs in the World Series, but wow, have they put on an impressive display of baseball since August. 21 straight wins. So the Whitecaps are playing Minnesota tonight at BC Play Stadium. Third game in seven days. Actually, three games in seven days. This is the second one. Because of that, they're going to change the lineup a bit. You can't keep the starting lineup every night. Five changes. Alfonso Davies is going to be a starter tonight. Marcel Dijon, uh, Tybert, Hurtado. They'll all be amongst the starters. Uh, not starting tonight. Freddie Montero and Kristen Teixeira. Well, the only thing more Swedish than the Vancouver Canucks is your local IKEA store. Four of the five highest paid Canucks are Swedes. And this year... Both their goalies are from Sweden. With Ryan Miller down in Anaheim, the last line of defense is now the job of Anders Nilsson and Jacob Markstrom. These two, seven years ago, played together on the Swedish national junior team. Are they good enough to give management what it wants, which is an actual challenge for a playoff spot? Jacob Markstrom is about to feel the entire weight of Canucks Nation on his shoulders. After three years of apprenticing in the crease behind Ryan Miller, 
the blue paint and the spotlight that shines so brightly on who the Canucks number one goalie is belongs to Markstrom. By Markstrom and he gathers the puck and covers. These previous two years I've been uh, feeling I'm getting better and better pretty much every, every day and every week and you know every game I played and I you know I I, I felt like I wanted to, wanted the previous years. So I wanted to play more games than I did, and uh, you know, obviously, that's uh, what inspires me to, to to work even harder to to try to get a get as good as possible. Of all the concerns and questions surrounding the Canucks this season, goaltending has to be top of the list because for the first time in years, there's no game-proven, battle-tested number one tending the pipes. This is Markstrom's eighth year as a pro. He has 107 NHL games worth of experience and just 64 entering his fifth year here in Vancouver. It's not exactly heavy seasoning for a guy taking over the number one reigns. Boy, what a performance by Jacob Markstrom here. As he gets frustrating times uh, during the year uh, for sure, but it's, uh, I mean, it's, I don't know, when you're in it, you're in it. It's, it's so hard. You don't really think of it. You, every day you, you, you prepare and you, you, you work hard and you, you want to play hockey games, so... But this is this is what you what you work for and what I worked for for uh, you know for a long time since since I came over to, to North America eight years ago. Not to be an alarmist on the crease conundrum, but the guy alongside Markstrom is fellow Sweden former national teammate Anders Nilsson. He of 78 career NHL games. His heaviest workload in a season has been 26 games. It's something he's done twice in his career. So instead of the usual Vancouver goalie question of who's number one, the real question that should be asked is, do the Canucks have a number one? Jay Janowar, Global Sports. Starting now, the CFL will not allow teams to have full contact practices in the regular season. Not that a lot of teams hit hard during practice. They, I'm on TV fly. They don't really, but from this day forward, you can't do it, even if you wanted to. And to make sure there'll be no pads at practices except helmets. It's uh, good for offensive and defensive linemen because if there is any serious contact in practice, it usually involves them. In the past, CFL teams were allowed 17 such practices in the regular season. The NFL allows only 14 full contact practices per year. Also next year, the CFL will have three bye weeks per team, up from two, to give players more rest time. All of these things are good ideas. Apoel and Real Madrid, Cristiano Ronaldo. Yep, he needed to do that. Why? Because that's how he celebrates his goals. Look at this pass by Gareth Bale. That's perfect. See? I don't know how to do that. Uh, Real Madrid had an easy time in this game. Sergio Ramos over the head. That's in. 3 nothing the final in Champions League play. There you go, B. First, before he gets the fly, for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Thank you very much, Sophie. A Surrey family finally has their house back, at least what's left of it. The limo that barreled into their home early Sunday was... Finally removed today, engineers were worried the structure was so badly damaged that the limo was holding up the house. Now the repairs will begin. We'll show you what the house looks like now. And a reversal by TransLink after outrage over a plan to remove a stop at Hastings and Carroll. They are now saying they will leave the stop where it is. We'll have more on those stories when you join us at 11. All right. Thanks, Jay. And when we come back, a heavenly mystery unearthed in Rome. Holy bones, but who do they belong to? That's next. 
might have just uncovered the answer to a mystery dating back centuries. The Vatican has even taken over the investigation into what appears to be the discovery of bone fragments believed to be from the man guarding the pearly gates, St. Peter himself. 2,000 years in the making, close to St. Peter's Basilica, a discovery that traces back to ancient Rome and early Christianity. In a church closed for 35 years, what may be bone fragments of St. Peter himself, unearthed by a worker and shown on Italian TV, perhaps placed here by an early pope to assert his authority at a time of division within Catholicism. How could something so historically important just be forgotten? Yes, this, this is really a mystery. St. Peter was one of Jesus' 12 apostles. His spirit, Catholics believe, now guards the gates of heaven. His body entombed at St. Peter's Basilica, one of Christianity's holiest shrines. Yet inside this small, forgotten church, the priest shows us a Roman-era pot where bone fragments were found, scratched into the lid the names of saints, including Peter. The first name of Britain, is Petrus. Petros. The relics found here, now closely guarded by the Vatican. Can we see the bones? <laughs> we can see now. If Pope Francis decides to open an investigation, this could become a place of worship, a place of great pilgrimage. Perhaps these relics of St. Peter were hiding in plain sight. A plaque at the entrance says they are here. And tonight, many are beginning to believe it. Keir Simmons, NBC News, Rome. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, Christy. Important that Sunday morning is nice for the uh, Canuck Place Adventure Race. I'm just, I'm completely unbiased, <laughs> but I'm hoping it's nice. Well, I hope it goes well for you and yeah. everyone else is taking part. Yes, it looks like it will be dry at this point. The showers or the rain, I should say.